Welcome to the Yale University Press podcast. I'm Jessica Hollihan, and today I'm happy to have the chance to talk to Milette Geifman about her brand new book, The Art of Libation in Classical Athens. Milette is Associate Professor of Greek Art and Archaeology, jointly appointed in the Departments of Classics and History of Art here at Yale University. Milette, thanks very much for talking to me today. Thank you for inviting me. Congratulations on the publication of the book, which takes a very careful and a very close look at the art of 5th century Athens, particularly as it features acts of libation. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the various contexts, both in terms of the art objects themselves and in terms of what we see on them and in them? So um, first, let's imagine ancient Athens. Yes. Um, and we think we can know a lot about it, but we, act, we kind of work through fragments of information. Um, but if we f- think about ancient Athens, we should think about the kinds of, or what I'm asking about in this book is what sort of rituals, what sort of things people do on an almost daily basis, or if not daily, quite frequently. Um, so we, the way we have dinner parties, we will uh, toast together. Or the way we shake hands. These are sort of daily rituals we're normally not even aware of um, that are performed regularly that have a meaning in the culture. Um, In ancient Athens, the pouring of libations, that is the pouring of any kind of liquid, it could be water, it could be milk, it could be oil, it could be wine or a mixture of of, of milk and honey and oil and all kinds of things – was a ritual that was performed quite frequently and in different contexts. In different contexts, by that we mean it could happen when uh, you have a dinner party and you would pour uh, a mixture of wine and water that Greeks never drank their drinks straight. They always mixed it. Uh, you would pour it on the ground and you think, you would thank the gods for allowing you to have this great dinner party. And then you would move on and discuss life. And if it's Plato in the sympo- uh, and you know describing the symposium, you will give it Socrates talking about love with his fellow friends. Um, so in the symposium, in a gathering, you would pour libations as part. That's one context, but that's one among, and that's the one we typically would think about when we think about libations. But other contexts would be when you make animal sacrifice, um, and that when you actually that's something the Greeks did, and we don't. <laughs> uh, they actually performed animal sacrifice, and part of that ritual was also the pouring of wine. Another would be when you visit the tomb of the dead, the visit of the tombs of the family. There you would pour libations, but they would be different kinds. They would be of milk and honey. Um, And when a soldier comes back from war or goes off to war, there would be at home a ceremony of pouring of libation. So these are some of the contexts that you could see this, this act of pouring some liquid. It doesn't need to be a lot on the ground, a kind of intended spillage, if you like, which is symbolic every time to something else. Now, 
with the objects that we're looking at, there would be some of them just represented as a sort of act that you see, uh, and they're represented on monumental art. We have depictions of libation bearers, women holding special libation bowls are also on the Parthenon frieze, and that's there in, a, in the context of a grand ritual, which includes animal sacrifice. So there you have the big ritual and grand um, uh, depiction, which is today in the British Museum and the, the, the famous Elgin marbles. But you have it, and that's actually the thing that interests me most, are the, daily, the objects of daily life, um, the jugs, the bowls. Uh, and these are things that were mostly uncovered in tombs, but also were part of daily experience in the home. And uh, what, so these are the, the, the objects that you would be using in, when you honor your dead, when you come visit your ancestors at the tomb or when, and the burial itself, but also what you have at home, <laughs> the jugs and the cups that you would use, you would, that would depict libations and also you'd be using in your own libations. And that's an interesting thing that, you know, you would have a jug that would show a picture of somebody pouring a liquid out of a jug, and then you yourself would hold the jug and pour right. liquid out of it. And, you know, what, what you know, was there a, a particular significance to that? Or was that something that... So, I mean, I, first of all, to me, there, there's a lot of debate today about Greek, uh, these Greek painted pots, which you see today in museums and who was the intended audience. But we have sufficient evidence to say that these were produced in Athens and that the primary context for which they were first intended or at least thought for was in Athens. And then they were also, uh, the reason why there's a debate, because they're found also a lot in tombs. Most of them are actually found in tombs outside Athens. So I'm talking about Athens as the primary place where they were actually found. And that's what the imagination of the artists that make them had, that's what they saw. But what, what's the point of that? So I'm here and we're in the studio and I'm holding this um, bottle of water. And imagine that on my bottle of water, there would be an image of someone else holding the bottle of water. In a way, that's what these pots do. So when you're going to a museum and there's huge glass, uh, you know, glass case packed with pots and they all look the same, it sort of misses the point. The point is, imagine that you would, would walk into a museum 2,000 years from now and just be looking at a, a display case, lots of bottles of water. That would not be very <laughs> meaningful <laughs> as a sort of a display object. But when you think about these as living objects in society, that's when they come to life. And that's what makes them so interesting. And once you start thinking of at actually using them, you see that the artists were really playing with how you look at it, where you raise it, how would you pour it, what do you see at what point. And that, to me, makes it so much more interesting. So there is this playfulness that they're, uh, they have in the creation of these objects that we see. So you think it was more than just the, the prevalence of libations happening in daily life in Athens that inspired artists to represent it so frequently. That so the thing was happening. <laughs> I can't give you the numbers, of yeah. course, but it is from everything we read, from texts, from, that this was a common thing. You would need dishes to perform it. There was no prerequisite how to do it and what to use, but it's you would only expect that 
jugs that used to be pouring would depict images related to the act of making libations. What's interesting is that it's a much much more sophisticated than just um, showing someone just holding the jug is that there is also a, a thinking dynamically about the object. In other words, what do you see when, who would hold what? It almost con- creates a whole uh, social interaction just through the image, and that's what makes it much more sophisticated than just everyday object that's kind of boring. <laughs> so, what, what were, give us some examples of the of the assemblages of k- kinds of people who were. So, if you have an image of a guy, and, and I have one example in the book where she holds the jug, and he's sort of going away from her. And you realize, and initially you thought, what's going on here? But then you realize once, if you were to use this pot and pour into a cup, then in a way what they don't manage to do in the image, you could do in real life. So the object shows a tension between a man and a woman. He doesn't seem to be very interested in any connection with her. He's going away from her. But if you, the user or the holder of the jug, were to do, to use the jug, perhaps you could reach the guy because of the place, of his placement on the pot, that sort of uh, game. In other words, once you use these things, they become much more interesting. So you in real life would fulfill what is unfulfilled. Exactly. Exactly. And in some of them, um, it's not all uh, mortal humans who are... So that gives it another very important dimension, and that is images of gods performing libations. There's a huge body of literature on that. Um, We don't need to enter it now, but what's interesting is to see, to think about the gods themselves performing libations, and that you'll see a lot of Apollo and Artemis in the act of libation. Um, And then you would realize that if she usually holds the jug... (laughs) Uh, and she pours to his bowl. So mm-hmm. she's the woman. She's in a way takes on the role of no, what normally women would do. They mm-hmm. would be the pourers. They, you, women are always secondary position, tend to be. Um, and he would be holding the the bowl. And so in real life, a woman doing that, she would be like Artemis. But she's not completely like Artemis. <laughs> and there's always a nice play there because once you start pouring, the gods disappear. You, don't, you can't see them. And only when you raise the jug again, they'll reappear again. This is very nuanced. But once you start imagining using these jugs, it becomes it's like almost as if you're creating a little epiphany at home. <laughs> you pour down the jug, the image, if you have it below the spout, it disappears right. and then it reappears. And in some of them, there are also paintings inside. Yes, that yes. only appear when, right. in fact, the vessel is empty. Right. So they're, they're really, really playing with the, the idea of liquids in and out from all kinds of shapes. And perhaps that's what makes depicting libations so exciting and so interesting as a subject. How, what are some of the ways that the, that the painters actually convey the, the dynamic act? So you have all kinds of things you see once you first of all there's lots of libation imagery in ancient greece and especially on on great greek vases um and that's no accident so i just have to reinforce that because i'm in this book i'm only touching the the surface Mm. um and within that very broad range you would see 
all once you start looking in it and you start thinking that libation it's like it's like when we give a hug some people give a, a little reserved hug and some people they enforce a hug on you that you don't want what know what happened to you some people are a little hesitant these are nuances of human interaction and they're being displayed through libations in Greek art so you'll see her holding the jug in a certain a- angle and the guy a little removed or maybe more interactive when and you do see imagery when both it's to, I'm focusing now on the male and female interactions because they're the most nuanced that when you have both of them in complete harmony the liquid falls from her jug into his bowl and then down to the ground and there's a line coming through and even there's the the an inscription that says i pour well in other words there is the option of the ideal libation which mm. is one that really speaks to coordination collaboration something sometime a strong bond but like a hug or a handshake there's all kinds of interactions it, even if they symbolize a connection there could be all kinds of tensions involved it's not always perfect sometimes she wants to pour we don't know if he's interested sometimes he's waiting and we don't know where she is sometimes she's on the side holding both jug and bowl waiting there all of these things are played out on the pots and that's what makes it so interesting So as you were gathering information about, um, you know, how how these events took place in life Mm -hmm. in Athens, um, which ancient authors were particularly helpful in your research? um, If I were to do, actually initially, and this was a very scholarly project, my intention was to do everything. All the texts, all the inscriptions. I wouldn't have. I, we That's wouldn't a lot of words. Yeah. <laughs> a lot. And there's no end to it. And my aim in this book was actually to start from the images rather than the text. So the texts were more as a kind of echo chamber for me. Um, and there's the, what I found is that scenes that mention libations are also, there's always an emotional charge to them. You have a very strong scene in Thucydides by all the entire fleet is about to leave for Syracuse for a great battle. All the Athenian people together pour libations with the hope that the soldiers are successful. Readers of Thucydides find out very quick, quickly that the whole thing failed. But that that what makes it so charged that there's the city is completely involved in hoping for the best. There's uh, telling moments in Greek tragedy, but perhaps the most to me, most interesting was a scene from the Iliad with um, Hector and his mother. And he's a, he just came from war and he's about to go off to war. And she does not want him to go back to war. And this is in the Iliad because she knows that he he's coming back to war. Just This is a little break. He's, he's going to go back to war and he's going to get killed. They all know it. But she doesn't want that to happen. And she says, come and let's pour a libation and be happy. And that would be a thank, thanking God, thanking Zeus that you came home today safely. And he rejects her. He says, no, I have to. You go off and you worship Athena and you ask her for goodwill for us, the Trojan. These are the, this is the losing side of the great <laughs> Trojan War. Um, and that, to me, was a very telling moment, exactly on the kinds of nuance interactions. This is the mother 
who wants her son not to go to war. And how could you not be touched by that? And what does she say? Pour libation and just drink and have be, be home. Yeah. Stay home. Yeah. It is one of the really striking things about the book is to think about the, um, you know, this incredible diversity of situations in which this was done and the the hopefulness yeah. that, that was imbued in a lot of these acts and, you know, the lived knowledge that these people had that it wasn't necessarily <laughs> going to have its yes. intended effect. Yeah. That's, I guess that's religion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you hope for the best. You hope that he won't go to war. But what's interesting, and then there's the vase I'm discussing that in the text, he does not pour, Hector does not pour libation. He pushes her away. And there's one image that actually depicts a similar th- scene, scene, but he holds the libation bowl as if he's waiting for her to pour a libation. So the image responds to Homer saying, actually, maybe Hom- maybe Hector would have poured libation. Maybe there's a hope for the son not to go to war, or at least to, most importantly, to come home safely from war. Yeah. I think that's really what's uh, so important. Yeah, there's a lot of hope. It, a lot of the time it doesn't, <laughs> wishes don't get fulfilled. Um, well, in the context of religion, um, is the act of pouring libation consistent with other forms of religious ritual in the Greek world, or is this sort of an outlier? So from the scholarship of ancient Greek religion, libation stands as a bit of a difficult phenomenon. Everyone knows it exists. I mean, scholars, I mean, not everyone, but scholars of ancient Greece know it exists. It's sort of mentioned in many texts and contexts. That's why I couldn't write the big book with everything. But... Um, it's sort of perplexing in terms of the logic of religion. If you think that other kinds of ritual, particular animal sacrifice, supposed to do something for the divinity that you worship. So say for the idea, and you know, there are depiction of, descriptions of that in Homer, that the gods just smell that wonderful aroma of sacrifice and they just enjoy that smoke that comes off these altars. They don't really consume the meat. That's, for, that, that's what mortals do. But they enjoy the aroma. They have, there is an idea of some participation even in animal sacrifice, but it gives them something. Mm-hmm. Or when people set up statues or give gifts, they give a gift. They give something that's a material object with some value to to give pleasure to the gods. But if you pour wine on the ground, why should the gods care? (laughs) Why spilled water or spilled wine should make anyone, particularly Zeus, who has everything, why would he care if you did that? So that's where... Libations as a ceremony, as a ritual, seems totally weird. (laughs) It doesn't make sense in terms of a regular logic of I give so in thanks with the hope that I get something back. That's the sort of general idea that goes across ancient religions in many, many ways. You give and then the gods will give you something in return, or at least you hope that they would. Libations don't really make sense in that way. And I think it's because, like the hug or the handshake, they're much more about connections than some kind of end result. It's about much more about asserting commitments, 
um, asserting that strong bond and whether it's within the family or and that could be mother and son, brother and sister. Um, it's usually male, female within the family, but it will be the family and the younger man, usually male member that is about to leave. Um, it would be among members uh, of, uh, of a group participating in a drinking party. Everyone making a libation is a way, like the way we make a toast. We're together. And it's, the toast is about being together and making the toast together, not about what will c- come out of that later on. And right. I think in that way, that's what makes libations, that's what, and it's a good way of thinking about them both to explain why, how come you have it everywhere. Well, Kind the way we shake hands, that's kind of every day. <laughs> um, but also as a way of need of society and p- social interactions at ver- various levels, including the dead, including the people who are the gods. You make libations in order to say, I'm committed. <laughs> right. Yeah, and that's what it is. It's not about I'll get something out of it or I'm thanking you for something I got already. Uh, this is about I'm here and I'm a good and pious person. And in fact, you talk about some uh, examples of art in the book where um, mortals are depicted pouring libations and there are gods depicted on the same piece of, piece right. of pottery. Right. And the gods don't seem to know that it's happening. Right. And the mortals don't seem to know that the gods are there. And um, there is a sort of coexistence. Right. But not a so it's it, yeah it's not about even wanting the god to acknowledge it immediately it's about saying i am pious whatever gods feel or do it doesn't it almost doesn't matter there's the importance is in the act of the ritual itself um and so thinking about some thing about anthropology here is helpful to to see that this is much more about being together and doing the thing yeah <laughs> One uh, extremely mundane detail that occurred to me a number of times as I was reading is that as opposed to a handshake or a mm-hmm. toast, uh, this makes a mess. <laughs> it does. It does. It's true. And I, I mentioned in one of the chapters that certain rooms apparently were designed, so especially when you have rooms for parties, designed so there's a little channel so you can <laughs> get rid of all the wine that was spilled down. But it's true. It makes a mess. And that's another thing to think about. There, you paid your dues. That's right. Now you have to clean it up. Yeah. Um, so how how has this deep study of this particular act, as it's depicted in mm. artwork of 5th century Athens, 5th century BC Athens, sorry, um, changed your other thinking about classical Athens? I mean, has it changed how you think about the interactions between men and women or the interactions between... Uh, men and the gods, or um, I, I actually thought more. But first of all, about the gods, that they're much more, co- even more complicated than I realized, because there's a lot of nuance between them. <laughs> um, a lot of it talking religion about men or mortals on one side and gods somewhere else, but there's a whole thing that goes on within among the gods <laughs> that's imagined through these kinds of depictions of libations and hierarchies. So it's a whole. We imagine a social world that's of its own, with its own rules mm-hmm. uh, and uh, own own habits, which is very difficult to think about. Um, and somehow I knew it notionally, but I, I dealt with it much more here, uh, with this, especially with the last chapter. Um, and moving forward, I mean, I knew it from the outset, 
But really, this book made me want to do even more of this kind of work about the dynamism of Greek art, that this art was really not intended for the museum, even though that's where most of us see it today. It's part of life. It has it's experiential in the most interesting way. Uh, and not, you know, not to be cliche, it's just something that's very dynamic. And I focused just on libations and I'm thinking, what about incense? What about smells? <laughs> what about other things, you know, uh, touch? Uh, all these things that are, once you start, libations, they were there before, but somehow um, most people didn't really think about much of them. There hasn't been a book like this before. And the reason why I mention this is because they've sort of been taken for granted. So once you zero in on a subject like that, just actually the almost mundane, almost, but not, re- you know, almost mundane, then you realize how interesting this visual culture was. And um, it opens up more ways of thinking and actually more libations <laughs> <laughs> in the later periods, for instance. That could also be interesting uh, to look at. Does it change? I think there is a change, and that I didn't. This book it was really about fifth century yeah. Athens. I think it speaks to certain norms of that moment. It's Athens in height of democracy. I mean, this is the period that, from an art historical and cultural perspective, I mean, I mean for the Western world, that's really a height. That's a peak. That you so. To think that this ritual was so pervasive then, that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. It doesn't seem to have been that strong before, at least from the, I mean, the imagery is different in the earlier period. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure, I don't want to come up with an... Uh, <laughs> on the spot theory. Yes, that, yeah. on the spot here, <laughs> and who knows who will listen to this. But there seems to be something here about the world of democratic Athens that generates this sort of imagery of this kind. Uh, but I'll need to look more in the earlier periods because it's there too. It's just that it's uh, there's a shift, but there are a lot of shifts. <laughs> um, but also one is really curious about the later periods. What happens when uh, in the 4th century, where in, if, if we stay with Athens, it still is democratic, but there are shifts. And then when we go into the Hellenistic period where there's no longer real democracy of mm-hmm. that sort, Um does it stay the same? What's interesting that the gods keep being participate, like being shown as potential participants in libations throughout ancient history, throughout until late antiquity, until the rise of Christianity. You'll see gods holding libation bowls, and that starts with Athens. So that's something that continues on. Well, thank <laughs> you for writing this book. It, the art thank is you. beautiful, and it provides a just fascinating window into what real life might have been like in classical Athens, which, you know, we can only fantasize about, but you give it a concreteness that's just wonderful. Well, thank you. Um, thanks again for taking the time to be here today and to talk about the book. For those excited to read more, the book again is The Art of Libation in Classical Athens. It's available in bookstores and online, including through the Yale University Press website. Thank you for listening, and please visit us online at yalebooks.com to keep up with this podcast series, as well as the latest from our blog and our authors.